May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So for the last few weeks we've been in the season of Epiphany, which begins with the surprising story of the Persian Magi, an event we celebrate on January the 6th, which is the Eastern Church's equivalent to Christmas Day. And I picked this picture up because we usually have white people in the picture of what happens, and actually no one was that white, like the... The wise men came from Persia, so they were Persian, and Jesus and his family were Jewish, so they were Jewish, not the kind of blonde white people we keep sticking in our pictures. So Africans just as good as the white people. So it's a very surprising story. It's surprising because Magi are astrologers, and if you know your Old Testament, if you know your Mosaic Law, you'll know that astrologers are condemned by Mosaic law, punishable by death, and yet here they are coming to Jesus. And they come from Persia, and Persia and Rome were not the best of friends. They were enemies, an enmity that lasted through to the 600s. They kind of fought themselves to a standstill and left this kind of power vacuum that uh, allowed a small group of Arabs to suddenly explode and the Muslim Empire kind of filled that vacuum. So deep enmity between Persians and Romans and, well, they probably weren't the best of friends in uh, with the Jewish people. We've heard the passage from Isaiah, which is about uh, the region of Naphtali and Zebulun. Well, where they lived down past the Jordan was really good farmland which actually meant that it was always under occupation from foreign powers, including the Persians. So these Persian magi come searching for a new king in enemy territory. And they search for that new king amongst the poor of Bethlehem. Not the normal place you look for a king. A small town outside of the capital city of Jerusalem. And apart from its historic roots to David, really a town of no importance at all. And their coming, Matthew tells us, unleashes a violent reaction from Herod the Great and untold misery for the people of Bethlehem. That's the beginning of the season of Epiphany. So what is Epiphany as a season all about then? I mean, Advent was all about preparing for the Christ of history, mystery and majesty. And we're about to go into Lent, which is a season of preparing for the great stories of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What is Epiphany about? Turn to your neighbours for a moment. You've probably listened to many sermons about what Epiphany is about. What is the season of Epiphany all about? It has purpose. Have a chat.
What ideas did you come up with? What is epiphany? Mm. Not really, like it is a standalone season on its own. So Lent is the is the kind of building up to Easter. So Epiphany is this little bit in between, which in part is about getting over Christmas, but that's not the real reason for having Epiphany. Any other reasons? New beginnings. New beginnings? What do you mean by that, Ken? Okay, it's not quite like that's part of every season, but there's a particular take on that for Epiphany, Glenn. Was it the first time that we actually recognised the importance of the baby Jesus? We were having a discussion about did they know what they were looking for, or when they got there, they suddenly realised this is us, and that's the Epiphany. Yep. So how do you use that word Epiphany in that phrase? So, Magi aren't Jews. They have no place in the story. But Matthew places them. So they're not in Luke's story. They're just in Matthew. And Matthew places them there right at the beginning as the revelation is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And that's the awakening for the readers of that, of that book, who are mostly it is understood to be a Jewish audience. So right at the beginning of his book, he's saying, this story is not just for us. It's for everyone. So that's an important part of Epiphany. This story is not just for us. It's for everyone. It's about God's gracious love breaking into the darkness of this world for everyone. So that's what Ken was talking about. But it's a really big, big idea that Matthew's talking about. God is with us. God is with us all. We all can easily say that, but then we put fences around that. Epiphany is about God is with all. Not just us, but all. So to help us into that theme, we've been given this reading from Matthew chapter 4 this morning, uh, verses 12 to 25. So that's two more verses that's in your um, pew sheet, and I added those deliberately. So the next picture 
hopefully, which is about. So in, in quick summary, Jesus is in the wilderness uh, down by the Jordan and uh, we call it temptation, but it's actually a test of his identity. What does it mean to be the son of God? He comes out of the wilderness and hears that John the baptizer has been arrested. And so that spooks him. The Greek used in his returning to, uh, to um, Galilee. That's the same Greek that's used when Mary and Joseph go to Egypt and then avoid Bethlehem when they come back. He's afraid. So he goes down, he goes, returns home to Nazareth and then eventually decides to move to Capernaum. A very small, very small lakeside village. And he begins to re preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So Matthew's phrase is the kingdom of heaven. And people engage with that. Like he's just not standing there in a soapbox talking. People are listening. People are asking questions. People are wanting to know more. So it's a conversation that's going on. And then one day after he's been there for a while, he's walking along the lake edge and he's passing all these fishermen, some of whom are still casting the nets, some of whom have finished for the night, for the day, they've sold the fish and they're just repairing the nets and getting the boat ready for the fishing that night. And he recognises some of them. And so he says to two of them, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. And this time, although they've been amongst those asking questions and engaging with them, they don't ask any questions. They simply drop their nets and follow, leaving their father and brothers gobsmacked that these two brothers are walking away from who they are. They are fishermen from Capernaum. That's who they are. And then as Jesus walks along, he recognises two others, this time sitting in the boat, mending nets with their father. And he says the same to them, and they too down their nets and follow. And this time, maybe, their father offers a blessing, because he understands what's going on, while weeping, weeping at the loss that this represents. The loss for their community, the loss for their family, the loss of relationships. These two people are walking away from who they are. And then using Capernaum as a base, Jesus sets out to all the neighbouring towns in Galilee. And he talks about how the kingdom of heaven was now here in their midst. And people come from all over. And this is why you need to have those last two verses. Because not only do Jews come... But Gentiles come. The Decapolis is a group of ten cities that are Gentile. There's a few Jews who live there, but mostly it's Gentiles who have been there since the time of Alexander the Great, and more recent immigrants who have come since the Romans have taken over. There are people of all kinds of religions coming to hear what Jesus has to hear, what he has to say. There are poor, there are wealthy, there are invalid, there are cripples, there are tax collectors, there are sinners, there are outcasts. People from Judea, people from Galilee, people from beyond the Jordan, all gather together with Jesus. 
the kingdom of heaven has come. The key word in all of this is repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As I've said before, we sometimes translate that as some kind of moral action, turning from an immoral life to a moral or righteous life. And it has conversion connotations, but often that conversion connotation has a sense of morality about it. But there is a lot of debate among scholars about how appropriate that is for the Greek. The word metanoio, which is the word that is translated into repent, literally means bigger mind. Meta, bigger, noio, mind. Bigger mind. And as one of the commentators I read and listen to says, this probably more appropriately could be described as be of a new mind, or perhaps change your way of thinking, or more simply, wrap your mind around this. This is about having a much bigger understanding, a much bigger understanding of who God is, and of who we are in relation to God, and what this world is in relation to God, and our place in all of this, which is kind of like the three questions that I refer to every now and again. Whose are we? How big is our picture of God? Who are we? Who are we in relation to this big God, as individuals, as a church, as humanity, as a planet? And in light of that, what is ours to do? And that's really what Epiphany is all about. Having our minds expanded. Wrapping our minds around this. Jesus was offering a much bigger picture of God. A God not just of the Jews, but for everyone. All those who came. Wherever they came came from. Whatever they believed. And a much bigger understanding of God's community, not just righteous Jews. If you came from Jerusalem, the whole temple industry is about righteous Jews and being clean so that you could go into the temple. And Jesus is saying God's community is everyone, everyone who gathers there, whether they are righteous or not, whether they are clean or not, they are part of God's community. And as they gather, he is saying... Wrap your minds around this. Look around. This is God's community. And God is for every single one of you. And all of us together. And then he's saying to Peter and Andrew, James and John. Well he's offering them a picture of a bigger family than he currently understands. And a bigger community. A bigger understanding of their lives. A bigger understanding of their place and purpose in the world. And when he says, come and follow me, he's really saying, wrap your minds around that. Are you able to say yes? And while Matthew records, and all the gospel writers record, the calling of these four, I'm pretty sure he said to others, come and follow me, and they went, no, my place is here, in this boat, fishing. Because to follow Jesus was scary. And it was very costly. It was the end of those relationships. The end of who they were. 
And one of the commentators I listened to said, yeah, well, maybe Jesus based in Capernaum, maybe they went home and fished with their family, reconnected, made some money, helped pay for what was going on. But in the end, those relationships were changed and then ended. Because they did end up in Jerusalem and then it was those people who ended up around the world. The first missionaries. In all of that, Jesus is saying, let go of your certainties. Let go of everything that defines you. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. So I wonder, as I gather in this church with all of you, many of whom have been followers of Christ all your lives. What has changed in how you see what has changed in how you see God over the years? What has changed in how you see the world and your place in it? And how have you responded to that? And what has been the joy of that? And what has been the cost of that? So I invite you to turn again to your neighbours and to have a conversation about what has changed in how you see God over the years and what has changed in how you see the world and your place in it. How have you responded to that? What has been the joy of that? And what has been the cost of that? There's a lot of questions there. Just pick one or two. and Have a quick conversation. We won't do a creed. We'll make that the creed and we'll finish it off.